Do you love making movies as hard and you want to listen to more episodes? Jump over to our Patreon page at patreon.com slash MMIH and you can listen to the entire back catalog of episodes for just $1.99 a month. That's an additional 300 episodes that aren't on iTunes that you can listen to whenever you please. But without any more blibber blabber. Back to the show! You know, making movies is hard. Making movies is hard. Welcome. This is the podcast about the struggle of being an independent filmmaker. I'm Mark Bissell, the founding host of the podcast. I'm a sci-fi horror filmmaker, and my first feature film, The Alternate, is out now on digital DVD and Tubi. I'm Liz Manischel. I'm a writer, director, producer who has made two features, Bread and Butter and Speed of Life. And I'm currently making more, including a horror comedy called Best Friends Forever. I'm a distribution consultant who does sales, and I used to manage Sundance's creative distribution initiative. This week, we welcome writer-director John Garcia on the show to talk about making over 11 feature films. He talks also about how he survives as a filmmaker and what motivates him to decide to make a feature. After that, we play another round of The Game. But first, Ulrich, how are you? I'm good. I'm surviving. You know, back to work this week after being furloughed for a couple weeks, so... It's been exciting. It's like being thrown right back into the trenches and there's just a ton of stuff going on. So it's like, we're like, why was I furloughed? I could have gotten a jump on all these things I'm doing now. But oh, well, anyways, that's between me and 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 the gods at my company or the bosses. I shouldn't call them gods, the boss gods, overlords, whatever. Anyways, so yeah, I'm good. My power is out too. And so all my robots don't work. You know, my feeding robot for my cats and my poop robot for my cats. And so now I'm just sitting here smelling cat poop which is great <laughs> uh, more, i didn't because, even know you were this automated as a as a person oh I yeah you know this detail well we got the they've had the cat robot for a while now basically it malfunctioned and so that we got a replacement one and it's so much better and here's my daughter hey, hello baby supposed to, i don't have the gate up you're supposed to be behind the gate little girl he's like yeah you're pro you're bad dad <laughs> So, yeah, so things are, it's a little chaos here right now, but things are going good. You know, I, I, what am I doing? I'm reading scripts, kind of moved on from the other script. Well, I wouldn't say moved on. It's just on, on hiatus, the other project that I was on. And so, yeah, it's been an interesting time. So the movie, it's, it's not dead. I don't want to use those words. It's on This hold. is the one that you've been talking about forever. Forever. Right? The one that I'm attached to direct that I, you know, got brought on to. So yeah, that one's on hold. They guess we're talking to a production company that's making a movie right now. And so they're going to be done in July. And so we're going to re- reconnect with them in July. But they really like the movie. They like the project. They like the script. They like the team. So we'll just see. We'll see what, what they can bring to the table. If it's if it's a partnership that's going to work or not. But yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm more like, I guess what I'm really, where I'm really at in my life right now is it's just like you know anticipating my second child and rethinking everything about my life as a director and a filmmaker and just sort of you know it's the same sort of stuff i've been thinking about for a while but it's just like okay like what's most important like what do i want to how do i want to spend my days like what do i want to do for my life like am i chasing movies and trying to make the next feature and you know just being ready to like drop everything at a on dime and go off and make a movie or am i like trying to build a life where it's more like you know i have a, a job that i do and then like that takes up a certain amount, amount of my time and then the rest of the time i get to spend with my family like what's what do i want you know and i feel like inevitably it's going to be the same thing. It's going to be like, I'm just going to, you know, 
eventually I'll find a movie that I love that I want to make. And then I'll, I'll go do that, you know, and however long that takes, but like, you know, in between those times, it is like the security and, you know, and spending time with the family is what I really want to focus on for right now, you know? And I'm like, you know, I'll definitely, you know, take opportunities as they come, but I'm like, I'm definitely not like seeking out trying to find a manager or, or, or reps right now, just because, it doesn't really feel like the right time for that for me. But well, it's also very much not the right time considering the strike, right? Oh, it's like... <laughs> I didn't even know. <laughs> <laughs> Tell me, Liz, what is this strike? What's going on? Well, I mean, I guess those are the things I wanted to talk about is how can non-union or unrepped writers and directors support the strike? And so I had a conversation with Amy Taylor today and we were like, what, what are we allowed to do and what are we not allowed to do and how should we respond as independent filmmakers and how do we fight the good fight? And I think, yeah, we're we're not taking meetings, but it's not we're like people not. are, well, people are not like, you know, knocking down our door, but I would say we're even to the point of, I'm in conversations with another production company for my horror feature and we're like, oh God, what does that mean? Because we don't know whether this production company supports the strike or not. And so are we are we default scabs if we enter into a conversation with them in some way? Like we're unsure. So we're just trying to play things really smartly. Mm. And what's great about our scenario is like, we're not shooting until February. So like we can, I can really take this time and try to find independent private equity investors, which is not going to be a conflict for the strike, you know, as far as I understand efforts that are in conflict or not in conflict with the WGA strike. And then we can court production companies later down the road. So that's like the first thing I wanted to acknowledge is like that's on my mind. But the second thing that's on my mind which happened right before I got on the Zoom, is like, I found out that a project I'm attached to is prepping offers for actors that I haven't even approved of. Oh, and wow. and I was just like, hmm, this is interesting. Like, am I being pushed out? Am I, why, why are they not asking me for my opinion? What is going on? And I brought it up to the producer and he's like, oh, you're definitely not being pushed out. We're not considering any other directors it was just a mistake and we forgot to ask you and <laughs> it's like oh i'm so sorry i guess my opinion didn't matter at all in terms of casting of this feature as the director but it's just this absurdity of like i don't even know if that project is being thoughtful about the strike our writer is unrepped does she have concerns about us going out and her name being attached to a project in some way that's trying to go out right now. I mean, it's confusing. It, yeah, I guess so. what I want to know is like, what what is the rule? Like, what is the expectation? Like, if it's the WGA strike, like if a movie's already written, you can't make that movie because it was written and it was by a WGA writer. Or is it more like you can't hire a writer to write a movie right now? Like, what what is the, I don't know. what makes you a scab and what makes you not a scab? I don't even want to like weigh in because I'm and, nervous about getting it but, wrong. <laughs> but does it? But to me, I feel like as an independent filmmaker, you're so so, so outside that system. It's like, you're, you know, you are not a WGA writer. Amy's not a WGA writer. Right. Why but is we it are content providers? So if there's a production company and they are not supportive of the strike and want to work with non-union writers as an effort to provide alternate content to yeah. the what the WGA is providing, then we then we are, I think, 
rebelling against the strike in some way. So, yeah. So you feel like if you engage with a studio or a production company that is, you know, does work with WGA writers and they're like, yeah, then you are a skip. I get that. That makes sense. But if you're just trying to make an independent movie. With private equity. Yeah, I think that's fine. I think if it's like you're overseeing it, you and the writer have an arrangement you're treating the writer correctly, you're paying them, you're compensating. You know, I think what Amy and I were talking about is like, if we're approaching any streamers in addition to production companies with this film, then also I think we're having an issue of an an ethical or an ethically dubious territory because it's like, oh, right. So then we're providing content to the streamers when that's exactly who's squeezing WGA writers out mm. of what compensation they deserve. Yeah. So it's like, how do you choose to participate in this strike when you're unwrapped? And am I overthinking it? Am I underthinking it? That's what's on my mind lately. Yeah. In addition to like, why didn't my crew ask me for my opinion on two cast members? But whatever. I'm just passive aggressively calling them out on this podcast because I'm cranky. Yeah. That's interesting. Like when, you know, you're attached to a project's director and the producers are trying to get the the movie made and they know that these actors are going to be the ones to get it done. Like to what degree does the, the, the director saying yes or no matter to them? It's just a gesture. Like up until this point, I've had veto power. They've, they've put actors in front of me and I've said, you know, I'm okay with all of them except for veto power. Damn. Up that's until like, this point, I've been very integrally involved with, yeah, with casting. Is that normal, though, that a director gets veto powder if they're a hired gun? Is well, that... it's part of my contract that I get a oh. creatively weigh in on casting. Right. But, but veto powder and creatively weigh in are different. You well, know? I call it veto power. I don't know if they would call it veto power. They're probably <laughs> like, we'll take her email and do whatever we want. But... <laughs> <laughs> Oh, really? Wow. So you've never seen the movie, the superhero movies or nothing else this person has ever done. Correct. And I mentioned wow. his name to Amy this morning and she was like, oh, that's blank. And I was like, I don't know. I got to like, I need to do my research. I think he has value and I don't want to get in the way of the film. But I just I just want to be able to say, because I think as a director, there's certain characteristics of these roles that I feel protective over. Like the main character of this film has to be incredibly likable, incredibly warm and empathetic and likable. And mm-hmm. that's that's been my guiding light. And if someone is not able to put that out in front of the camera, then, you know, and I do think these are traits that come in association with performances and actors, then I'm not doing my job protecting the role, protecting the film. So mm-hmm. I'm I'm asserting myself. I touch base with everyone saying I need a status check and I'd like to know what's going on. Nice. So yeah. So what was your reaction to that? Like, did you, when you found out, how did you find out? Anyways, they're going at that. They told you or another member of the crew mentioned, Oh, last I heard we were going out to these actors. And I said, I didn't know that. And then I immediately touched base with our producer and I said, are you guys squeezing me out? Like, am I, are other directors being considered? Because why wouldn't I be told about this? And he was like, no, I think uh, there was a miscommunication. No one, no other directors being considered. You know, I'm so sorry. This was a lapse. Our our bad. Yeah. (laughs) My bad. (laughs) (laughs) And then, and then did you say then I, I therefore hate this actor or did you're just like, you let it go and you're like, okay, whatever, you know? No, I just, please keep me advised in the future. He got everyone back on the same thread 
And he said, look, we have to loop Liz in. We should have looped her in from before. And yeah. And then I wrote back saying like, I need a status check of who we're going out to. Nice. Yeah. That's good. Good for you. I think that was a great way to handle it, you know, and, and probably not the way that a lot, some people would do. So good, good for you for like asserting yourself and, you know, approaching them directly and being very blunt. It's good. You have to have something to lose. Like if you've like, I'm a, I think you should always be prepared that you're going to be fired or you need to walk away from a project. Right. And like, mm-hmm. that's kind of, I, I don't, I don't want to walk away from this project. I love this project, but I think you always have to be prepared that that might be an option for someone. Right. But do you know what's not an option? Supporting the show on Patreon because <laughs> Jessica Sims, who's lovely, supported us this week. Thank you, Jessica. Happy birthday to you. That's how we celebrate you. www.patreon.com slash MMIH podcast. Jessica left us a little message and she said, thanks so much for the incredible resource you and your team provide. I've been meaning to leave an iTunes review too, and we'll get on that. You guys are the raddest for real. And then she also wants us to shout out, and we were happy to shout out, a short that she helped produce and was the DP on. And it was on Short of the Week this week, and it's called Digging for a Life. So everyone should look up Digging for a Life on shortoftheweek.com. And we should all support Jessica. Yeah, and, I just want to say oh, getting yeah, on Short yeah. of the Week is incredibly difficult. So yes. kudos for you, Jessica, for getting on there. That's in, it's awesome. Amazing. Absolutely. And, then, and thank you. <laughs> yeah, thank you, Jessica. Don't forget to everyone else, after you check out Digging for a Life on Short of the Week, don't forget to check out jambox.io, which is a royalty-free music and SFX company with an emphasis on high-quality cinematic cues. They offer customized plans to fit your needs. Check them out, jambox.io. But without any more delay, here's our chat with John Garcia. We're here with John Garcia. Thanks for joining the show, John. Glad to have you. Yeah, man. Thank you. Let's just start with the elevator pitch for your film, Love and Dangerous Times. Okay. Yeah. Love and Dangerous Times is about a couple living through the pandemic and trying to find connection and eventually romance during during that time. And we, yeah, that's elevator pitch. So. <laughs> How many days did you shoot? We shot Love and Dangerous Times in about 22, 22 days, I think. Yeah. Yeah. It was kind of like there was, you know, we had nothing else to do. So the, the so the three of us just got together and just, you know, did the whole thing in my apartment I was living in at the time in, in downtown Portland. And so, you know, it was a crew of two people and then one, one focal cast member. Pretty, and pretty simple. What was the rough budget, if you don't mind saying? It was $2,500. Jesus. Wow. Yeah, it's kind of nutty. We may have more questions about that soon. Yeah, yeah. How did the, what was the origin of the idea? Like, how did you come up with the idea? Yeah, well, you know, like, I, I you know that podcast, Script Notes? Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. Our yeah, favorite sure. podcast of all time? Sure. Well, yeah. I love it. I love the podcast. And like, I, I, you know, in the middle of the podcast, in the middle of the, of the pandemic, you know, there was one episode where like, you know, somebody's going to make the movie about two people trying to connect during the pandemic and, you know, an obvious story in the pandemic. Don't do that. And I remember thinking, well, I've already done that. And uh, <laughs> and thinking like, oh, oh man, yeah. D- did I did I take on the low hanging fruit? Did I state the obvious? And at the time, I definitely felt like, well, this is this feels right. You know, this feels like I definitely want some connection right now. Like I know a lot of people that want some connection, and this is what I'm feeling. This is what I want to. This is what I want, and I'm going to make something about it. And I think just the way that that the three of us got together and 
and and went about the whole thing. I think was was pretty cool. It was pretty cool, and and I just felt like I wanted to make it part partially to sort of like process like what was going on, kind of, and and we were able to do that in real time, you know, as we learned more about about COVID, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, you know, and it just it just became this this really neat little time capsule of of Portland during that time. Not that it was you know neat is not a, a good way to describe it, but it was it's very it was very it was strange to capture you know a town a city you know a big city like this completely empty grocery store you know just with no toilet paper and all that stuff you know which is very very interesting and so yeah it was just a way to like process what was happening that's how that's how it came to be that's my long answer for you how did long did you spend working on the film from like coming up with the idea to make it to being released yeah, we started. We started to sort of write the script. Like, I think like March. No, no. Oh my like, god. Yeah, it was about my. Yeah, it was about March, and we started shooting and <laughs> about a month later in April. Wow. Yeah, yeah. My god. Yeah, just right, just right away. I was just like, what the hell am I going to do for the next few months? And so we spent every day together, like twenty, you know. But we realized, like, you know, a two person, two person crew, you know, that like we, you know, we could do three days in a row, you know, ten hour days and three. 10 hour days in a row and then we'd be very tired and we'd take two days off and we're asking ourselves like we're not really like in a hurry are we but we but we wanted to get done of course to stay stay in rhythm so we do three days on two days off Mm. and it was and that was a perfect amount of of work for us you know most of the most of the cast members were were zoomed in anyhow of course i didn't really know how to you know we're like how do we film the the a little screen capture. Do we record from Zoom or do we record? I don't think I wanted to get a Zoom subscription yet. I didn't want to commit to that. So I think we're using Google, like the Google one that's free. And I was like, this is good. This is right in our budget, you know? <laughs> and so we, yeah. And so, yeah, there's like little things we had to figure out like that. And for our one, like in, in-person scene that we did, like we did all the, you know, all the COVID precautions we could. I think they were still developing what that what that actually was, you know, and it's really funny. I, I went, I never go to Letterboxd, but somebody told me to go to, to check out Letterboxd at some point. I never do, you know, and I think like most of my films on Letterboxd, like don't like, don't seem to be like reviewed that well, except for there's a few that are, but, but a lot of them aren't. And there was one review from somebody that, that uh, said, you know, I really like this movie until it got to the end. It's probably one of the most awkward scenes I've ever seen in any movie ever. So congrats for that. That's what it said. And I was like, Oh, <laughs> and I had to think about one, you know, was it awkward? You know, I don't know. I thought it was funny. I thought it was, I thought it was this other thing. I didn't know it was awkward. You know, anyway. uh, one of my so, letterbox reviews for my latest film just says, what? Like it doesn't have a question mark. It just says yeah. what? <laughs> so I understand. I love that. I, I don't want to post my bad reviews, but by the way, I've, I've been thinking about that. Like, you know, cause you, yeah. when you get a good review, like you post it on, on social media, but I've, you know, I, I, had, I had one review of my horror film, The Iris Till Daylight, and it said, create some sort of black magic so I, you know, so I could, that I can get these two hours of my life back, you know, that were, <laughs> you know. And I actually love that. It was on Amazon. Anyway. Roxanne Benjamin. We just had Roxanne Benjamin on the show, horror filmmaker extraordinaire. And she's been posting all her bad reviews on Twitter. And I actually adore it. I'm on board. I'm on board for bad review posting. Our last question on this film and this topic is, if you could change one thing about the film in any way, I mean, I can't say like the pandemic doesn't happen, but if you could change something about the film, what would you, what would it be? I think I would maybe try to reanalyze the scene that's awkward and, and, and really take a good look at that and ask myself, is it, is it awkward? Well, so, but so they're having, they're having sex from across the room 
but like, you know, without touch, whatever. So they're they're just, they're just like describing it, you know, what they're doing. And I thought it was really funny. You know, I thought it was really like, you know, I thought it worked, you know, and I still, I still, I haven't watched it in a long time. I mean, I might watch it later today and be like, oh yeah, they're right. (laughs) Well, there's, there's probably an equal amount of people who feel that it does work, you know, to this person who thought it was awkward, you know, like people talk, like there's a couple of comments about the ending of my movie you know where people are like it was great until the end mm-hmm, mm-hmm. like almost the same comment but then like there's people who are like you know tell me oh the ending's my favorite part which it's my favorite part of the movie so when mm-hmm. i you know at least one person said it's their favorite part like i'm like okay i'm good like i don't care about all the haters it's fine i see i like that see if i can just find one person i mean and the people that <laughs> have told me it's great are like my friends you know and you know, mom or something, you know, like, <laughs> you know what I mean? I just, I, I've, I was talking to somebody about this recently. It's like, you know, it's like, it's not that like, I feel like nobody will, will tell me the absolute truth about mm. what they really think about, about my work. You know, I think, you know, they, you know, there are people that do, you know, but, but for the most part, I think, you know, friends and are going to be supportive and tell you, oh yeah, it's brilliant. Brilliant, you know. I don't know. It's just, it's just, it's just, it's just interesting, you know. It's, it's like you kind of have to be your own barometer for your work, and it's kind of, but it's really hard to do that. Yeah. You came to us through Jeff Rymoot, who's the editor of this podcast. So when yeah. I said you want to edit anything, you just say Jeff, cut it out. You know exactly who to picture. We've never met Jeff, by the way. Alrix met him on a, on a Zoom, but you've met him more than we have. Yeah. He said you've directed ten features. Is that right? How many features have you directed? Eleven. Eleven. Oh but oh, one of them is a, a full length documentary. And so sometimes I'm not sure to, if I should count that one. That count it. So. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It. yeah, yeah I think so. Yeah. Jeff is, uh, is one of, one of my favorite people in the universe. He's sweet, sweetheart. He's a sweetheart. Oh. Just, uh, I just love him to death. And, every, and I worked with him on a, on a few features now, sex weather and the falls movie that I did, I did as part of a trilogy. And then we did the shorts together and then we did strictly for the birds together and lose together. And so, yeah, he's just been wow. constant in my life. He's just one of my, one of the very, one of my, my most favorite people on earth. He's just the biggest sweetheart. Oh, so you guys are lucky. The Jeff show. We're very lucky to work with him. Yeah. He's fantastic. I think you may be the only, at least the only filmmaker I've talked to who's directed a trilogy, but maybe the show has covered another trilogy creator, Ulrich. But oh, I, oh my God, I don't remember. I really want to talk about that. Like, just even the, I, did you start, did you make the falls thinking it would turn into a trilogy? Was it so successful that you just kept on making derivative work? Or how, how does one develop a trilogy as an independent filmmaker? Right. So, yeah, I, I made it not thinking it would be a trilogy. And, and I, yeah, it was kind of learning about, the, about, filmmaking when I when I when I wrote it because I'd only made one other feature but it hadn't come out yet and I I went to a film school that didn't have a production program I mostly my education was mostly like I could be a film critic you know so when I got to my the first day and the first set of my you know my first feature that I was directing and I didn't know like what white balancing was or like I you know I think I think I thought I had to like play music in this scene if I wanted it to play it you know in the movie later and post and I remember like just asking really dumb questions you know I just know things and people were like you don't know this stuff and I was like I really don't I know I know it sounds it sounds so silly now you know but but you know I just like I know they were just showing up to set thinking like I gotta figure out you know I gotta, gotta I gotta be a director just kind of know what what I want or something you know but I just 
yeah, it was, but, but, you know, I wrote it and I wrote the falls and, and it felt very different from, from the feature I'd made before that still hadn't come out. It's, you know, it was more, I made the first one tandem hearts over a course of a year and a half, you know, on weekends and, and, and the falls was like a 17 day shoot. You know, I didn't think I'd make a sequel for it. It just, it just seemed to like, you know, had a very simple setup and where, you know, there's two, two main characters, two missionaries. I didn't need cars. They ride bikes everywhere. They wear the same suit every single day. The only thing that has to change is their, is their tie. You know, if I want to, uh, if I want a different tie and a different day, but I kind of had them the same tie every single day. A lot of the things that are given to missionaries are, are, are hand-me-downs. So just, you know, and actually our, our UPM was, was, a was a, was a former Mormon had just left, left the church with officially with her, with her family. And we actually, we fed our crew with her, with her food storage, you know, uh, some, some LDS will have, you know, food storage for the, you know, for the, for the, what's, the, I'm going to mess it up, but you know, it's just the, it's, it's the food storage for like the, the reckoning, you know, or, or, or oh. something. You know? And so that's how we fed our crew, you know, with, because they didn't, they, because they no longer needed it since they'd all left the church. And so there's all these little, little things that's kind of just worked, worked for that movie. And, uh, but, and I spent two and a half years trying to, learn final cut and learn how to and really, you know, get the, I didn't have money to pay an editor. So I, you know, I, I, I worked on the editor for two and a half years. Finally, you know, I was ready to, to start setting out to festivals and it just, it just kept, it just kept getting into LGBTQ plus film festival after film festival for film festival. And it started really, you know, we got a, we got a interest from MTV and then there was, there was all, there was some, there was some cool, there were some cool things that happened, you know, during the process. And it finally came out and, and it, you know, and it, and it, it, it did it did pretty well it ended up on netflix and that's when the distribution company picked it up I was like so are, you should do this. we met at, at afm they're like you should do a sequel and i was like a sequel i hadn't even thought about sequel. yeah let's do a sequel and so i and i had six months to get it all figured out in time for for, for buying season that's what they called it you know in, in time for for december you know for the holidays so you know i got it all done and in, in, in time you know somehow and then that film did pretty well too and then and then they were like well, let's do third let's do a trilogy and so the second two were about did they finance it did the distributor finance it or is no no they they only you know, they gave a portion you know i think the second one the first one was a you know it was a, i made it for seven grand at uh, the falls you know and, mm. and then you know i in post-production i got some help there was this post house that that for sound design that gave me like a huge, huge discount, you know, and that was great. And so I ended up taking a loan and paid it back, you know, so I ended up being completely and complete the false was about, you know, maybe 20 grand, you know, and then, and the false too, you know, I think the distribution company gave me like around 40, 40,000. And then I raised another, another 20 to 30. Wow. Maybe a little, maybe a little bit more than that. The false too was interesting because there was a gentleman that reached out to me, Rodney Moore, like as his name, we still collaborate to this day. You know, he was, you know, I told him, he, he said he watched the first movie and he was really taken by it. And uh, he asked what I was working on now. I was like, actually, I'm working on the falls too, you know, and we found ourselves $20,000 over budget. And I, I was working for at a tech company at the same, at that time. So I was like, you know, I can cover this. So I'm gonna have to pay people a little in about two, three months. So I can, you know, whatever, whatever, you know, probably, but it was going to be tight and I hated being over budget or I hated the fact that I would have to pay people later. And so, but, but this gentleman who I did never met, I mean, he says, well, since you're Latin American, you know, and since you're a filmmaker, you know, and, and, uh, and Latin American, I, I, I think you qualify for this program called America, America achieves. And so put an application and then I ended up, I was given $34,000 wow. from that organization. And that, and that, and that allowed me to not only pay everybody, but it allowed me to pay myself, which he thought was very important. You know, so anyway, it was it that all that all worked out, 
you know, well, it's kind of pretty incredible for the Falls 2. The Falls test been a lot. And the Falls 3, the distribution company contributed around the same amount. Uh-huh. I don't, it's 25 to 40. I, I just don't remember, to be honest. And then I had other outside investors and that's, yeah. And so that's, yeah. So, I mean, not only, only recently have I actually started working with, you know, you know, str- strategically the way that you form an LLC, find investment and waterfall agreements and everything like that. That's all very new to me, but you know, the, the business side of filmmaking for me is still something I'm, I'm figuring out, you know, it's a hard, it's a, it's, it's kind of a, it's been a hard, hard, long road of learning how to do that. Yeah. So through all this, are you just providing for yourself through a day job or is there a point, you know, where after feature four or five or six, that you're able to, to quit and just do this full time. I just do this full time. So I, I made enough films nice. that, that have done well enough, you know, that I, you know, I get, you know, I get some cash every quarter and, you know, it can, it's enough to pay the rent. It's not enough to like, you know, I don't know. It's not enough to like do a whole, whole lot of extra. It allows me to have an office space. And I just hired a part-time employee at my company because we're, we're going to make two movies this year. And so I've, you know, but I mean, I don't know. I'm pretty, I'm pretty, I like to think I'm frugal, money conscious, but at the same time, I, I'm still under the, I don't know. I feel like I still need to spend money to make money type thing. And, and you do, right. You know, but I really like, I really want to treat the people that I work with well, and I'm, you know, and trying to like, you know, here at the office, or just, you know, we spend a lot of money on food, a lot of money on just kind of hanging, you know, making sure we can go, go and do things together and whatnot. You know, we have some people, some people that, that we just worked on this film with that just kind of show up and hang out. You know, I really like the, you know, the camaraderie course of, of filmmaking. I have to take, I have to take like a commercial job every once in a while. And some of the, you know, so I really, I mean, I, I, I do videos for a strategy company here that represents regional candidates, you know, that, that are in line with, with things I care about. And, and I like, I like doing that. I work, where I work with big brothers, big sisters every once in a while, but it's all like very discounted, you know, I'm like, yeah, you know, like I'll do, oh, I'll nice. do something for, you know, next to nothing or whatever, you know, and I'm due to some music videos right now. Or, or whatever. But I, I mean, you know, I'd love to, uh, you know, I'd love to be to pay in a place where I'm, you know, truly comfortable as we all would, right. As, 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 as filmmakers, be able to have enough to save and all the things, but it's still, you know, it's still like kind of, you know, feast or famine and, 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 and in many ways, you know, but, but I love doing this full time. And the only way I can figure out to keep doing it full time is to keep, keep making movies. That's why I've been, been making as many as I have in the last 13 years I've been doing this, just movie after movie. It's also like a therapy, a therapy thing, a therapeutic thing. I, I don't know if you guys are the same way, but it's like, I feel like I kind of start feeling like, you know, what am I doing? If I'm not making a movie, if I'm not working on a movie, you know, I kind of feel like I'm kind of, there's something kind of missing, you know, just kind of, I don't know. So really quick, really quick, super quick follow-up. What, what was the breaking point? Was it like one movie that did well enough that allowed you to, to do this? Or was it like the fact that you had like six movies or something in the catalog that were bringing in money every quarter, quarter that like kind of, was it the quantity that helped make it possible? You know, yeah, in some ways it was a quantity, but like I was pretty much living like on like couches and basements you know for you know i'm 43 now i was doing that till like you know into my late 30s you know just really just you know rough in it you know and i still do in, in, in many ways you know i think when i when i had somebody teach me more about the business side of 
of filmmaking and making sure that I have enough company overhead, you know, to cover expenses for myself, you know, for my operations, you know, make sure that, cause you know, we all, I don't know, maybe you all have done this, maybe not, but I, I feel like a lot of filmmakers I know that are also producers, filmmakers, et cetera, kind of do one and one in everything and end up editing their own movies, all the things that we have to do to, to, to finish the film that we created. I feel like we forget to pay ourselves, you know, or we don't right. pay ourselves because we put other, other things in front of that. And it had somebody instill in me, like, you got to pay yourself. You got to pay yourself. You got to pay yourself. Don't, you know, don't do that to yourself anymore. And that's become, you know, more important to me over the years to start taking care of myself, you know, as a filmmaker. So I think around the time that I made the movie Lose, and it was, you know, uh, my first like $150,000, my, my first movie over $100,000 you know, we, we created light items for like company overhead, made sure I got paid well, et cetera, et cetera. You know, and from there, it just, that was just the, like the mentality I had and certainly for the birds, the same thing. But by, I think by the time, I think it took about 10 years for me to start getting, to answer your question, it took me about 10 years to actually start getting any type of royalties from these films, you know, and they started coming in and, and they've been, and they've been, consistent you know and not not even really so much for the falls but for the other other films i've made like sex weather does pretty well and etc i lose lose does well you know so so i think it yeah that was kind of like the breaking point is that these these movies started to like actually pay me royalties and that's when i realized okay like you know it pays me x amount of dollars per quarter four quarters in a year like i can i'm used to living very you know meagerly or very like modestly so I think it's, it's still, it's still, it's still happening. You know, I'm still experiencing like a, a little bit more financial freedom the more and more the, as the years go by, as I keep making movies. And like I said, the, the, making more movies, making a, a large quantity of movies is, is, is one way I've, I'm discovering how to, how to find that, you know, so. I just want to state things and you tell me if I'm right. <laughs> you, okay. So you've made 11 features. We know that's right. There, none of them, to correct me if I'm wrong, have quote unquote name cast. They're, no. they, they're local talent that you work with in Portland or Houston. You don't tell totally. Maybe even that is enough to start with. Because so, okay, I think the, the like mini quest of this podcast is for Ulrich and I to find people like you. Like we, like you are ideal for us to talk to because we're trying to figure <laughs> out how do you live as just a filmmaker but what we also are trying to tack on top of that for ourselves is Ulrich and I both have families, like we both have kids and I, and I don't like to pry too much, but trying to figure out how to sustain a life while also building a personal life. So let's tap into that. So would you say that the model that you created with low overhead writing, directing, Sounds like you do the music for it. You also write books. You do all this stuff. Is it the fact that you're taking on so much work that is the core, the foundation of the model of success? And then like, I understand that you're trying to move out of that, but like how far out of that have you moved out of? Like, is there a five-year plan for your finances? Like, are you able to project farther into the future? And sorry, this feel it feels very invasive all of a sudden, <laughs> my questioning. No, so you tell me. No, no. I, yeah, I mean, I've had, I've had some people really come into my life and help me with the business the business side of things, especially Rod, the individual I told you about earlier, you know, he, he's taught me to think, think a year ahead, think two years, ahead, think five years ahead. And, 
and actually do projections on your movies and, and exactly try to try to find out when you might make X amount of dollars at, at this at this time and and you know and do everything you can and to you know to create that you know and 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 so so I got off I'm trying to get right back into your question can you can you put well, it in I just I'll add to it. Like, I just love that you don't play the Hollywood game. Like, I love that you've been able to turn over project to project. What I'm trying to hack into is how can other filmmakers apply that to themselves? And then also, how are you kind of growing out of that couch mentality, right? Into Right, right. Because I'm still, you know, I'm still, you know, in it and to some degree, you know, but like, I don't like have a partner and I usually don't, you know, I'm pretty like a pretty work work focus. I mean, that's, that's its own sort of thing, you know, that, you know, but, okay, uh, but, but a lot of people, thing. yeah, it's not, a, no, it's, it's not a bad thing at all, you know, but so yeah. And I, and I, and I, I work obsessively on something. And so that, you know, in the projects I've created really, I think for a lot of filmmakers, you know, like, it's like the, you know, kind of keeps us going when everything else is sort of like, you know, could be better, you know? So a lot of those types of situations, you know, where I just sort of obsess about a film, obsess about an idea and I just can't stop. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm going to make it no matter what. I mean, type type thing, but it is, it is a lot of, it just it really is like a lot of hours and also like doing a little, little bit of everything. If I need to do the music, I'll do the music, but you know, I'll, I edit a lot. I, I, I never give myself the editing credit, but I, I'm usually spending as much time as, as any editor. I think a lot of people do that. You know, I'll find people that that don't have editing credits and i'm like let's 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 all get some credits let's all like let's build each other let's build each other up you know type type thing and as far as like you know finding like you know financial freedom and, and being able to you know for, for filmmakers to be able to you know to do this or, or do something like this and even more themselves i mean you know it's like i, I haven't wanted to, to delve into the sag world because i know that can I've always been scared of it. Like the more I'm learning about it now, it's not as, it's not as, as hard or as bad as I thought, thought it would, you know, I thought it was cause I'm about to make my first SAG movie, you know, but I, I know some distributors are like, you know, don't really want to, don't really want to touch a, a SAG movie that doesn't have a star in it, you know? And I've never, I've never sought after a star, not until now. And there's a project we're working on right now. Where we're actually doing that, you know, and that's a whole, that's a whole process for me. I didn't, you know, and I'm working with, I'm working with five, uh, well, four producers now that just, that just helped fund the Bigfoot movie. And it's essentially, I guess, how I found this group was for my movie Lose, you know, and, and I think Lose is an example of like, okay, like I want to make something that I care about, that the world cares about right now. And so I started off making LGBTQ movies and I became really, I was volunteering at the time at a, at a youth center for queer youth. And it really, it really touched me, like working with these folks, you know, working with these kids, you know, we put on a prom for them et cetera, et cetera. You know, they were from uh, the age of like uh, 11 on to the 17, 18 and, and really good people. And that's what inspired me to make the first Falls movie. I just like felt this sense of empathy, you know, that I couldn't describe, you know, and so I put it into a film, ended up hitting at the right time. Mitt Romney was the Republican nominee. And, the, and at that point in time, the United States was curious about and talking about Mormons. And so that, that, you know, so my LDS movie comes out and it, and it and it strikes the chord of some people and ends up on Netflix and, and ends up being there for two years and then you know and then I you know since then I you know I've I don't want to say I'm an, I'm like an activist but I involve myself whenever I can and uh, whenever I'm welcome for you know for for activism and being you know making I made a documentary about queer youth in America et cetera so it's something I care about it's something I'm I'm, in, I'm involved in and it just so happens that there's it's 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 in a genre that has a lot of support you know so most of my films are in that world and I think that's what's created for me a lot of a lot of freedom that I'm 
I'm focusing in on, on one area and I keep focusing in on that story and on that narrative and, and, and growing my, my theories, my, my ideologies is evolving too about, about how I feel about relationships and our relationships are, are like, you know, the most practical, low budget, you know, way to, you know, topic to create a film about. And it's, we can all relate to it. And, you know, I think for me as somebody who's, you know, usually single and sort of pondering like the, you know, what, what connection could be or is or whatever. I, I noticed that a lot of my, my films focus on like the coming together of a relationship, like the, the meat, the meat cute, not so much the evolution and the everything else that the real relationship, you know, <laughs> but, 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 but the coming together of it, you know? And so, you know, a lot of my movies are focused in on that. So I think, I think to answer your question in, in a very uh, long winded ways, I just were sort of, I just found like, you know, sort of some, some niche places. And I think Lose was the epitome of that because it hit on uh, at me as a Latin American and having never seen a movie about two Latin people or anybody, two individuals in prison who, I mean, there's, you know, Kiss of the Spider Woman, of course, but who form a relationship in prison and then get out and ponder what that was, you know, what, you know, it, it just sort of hit on a lot of areas for a lot of people. And I think that's the one that got the attention of these people I'm working with now. Mm. And they, they loved it. They loved the actors in it. They loved, they loved the, the topic, the fact that it was Latin, et cetera, et cetera. So now I find myself, I want to make more Latin oriented work. And as part of that's me, like getting in touch with my culture, you know, I, my Spanish isn't good. It's actually really shitty, you know, and, and I, and I got a lot of, a lot of, a lot of crap for not knowing Spanish growing up for my cousins, et cetera, et cetera. I still get, I still get a lot of a hard time for my family with that, you know, and I'm about to direct a movie in Miami, you know, and it's, it's good to know Spanish in, in uh, South Florida. I mean, it, it comes in really handy, you know? And so, and I go to a restaurant and if I have to, you know, if they have to speak to me in English, sometimes they're like kind of roll their eyes a little bit. And I, I don't blame them. You know, I should know, I shouldn't, I should know. <laughs> you, 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 you know what I mean? So, so I guess I've just found, I'm finding, I'm still finding because I haven't found it yet. I'm still finding or evolving. The things I care about are evolving and kind of always put it into the movie that I'm making and I hope, you know, in the hopes that an awareness that, that there are people that care about or care about the types of films I'm making. And that's part of, that's part of what I, why I think I've been able to keep making them, you know? So, uh, so Bigfoot is a departure for me. I've never made a horror film, you know, like, like this with gore and everything like that. I just, I don't even know that I didn't, I, I learned a lot from the, our, our practical effects person on set, you know, it's kind of learning as I go. So speaking of the people who watch your movies, you have a lot of them. I was looking at IMDb. You've got a lot of ratings on your movies, like in the thousands for most of them, like lose has over 6,000 ratings on IMDb. What, what kind of promotion do you do? Like, is it all through, you know, the distributor or are you doing your own prom promotion campaigns on the same, no. same side? How's it work? No, I'm not doing much promotion on the side. I have like, you know, I have like very, like 10 Instagram followers or something, you know, I don't don't do a lot of like social. I wish you know. I always I always get like super you know scared of just posting anything anywhere. I'm like oh they're I'm always scared to like offend or I'm not that I would I'm ever going to say anything offensive, but I'm just I don't know. I'm just so scared to talk on social media. So I and I, I definitely haven't done a lot of campaigning for myself. Neither have the PR companies we've hired. You know the PR company that the, that the distributor will hire will usually you know be pushing the movie and that's. And that's it. And, that, and that's what they should do, you know, and it'd be, it'd be helpful for me if they pushed me as a filmmaker like that. That'd be great. That'd probably be very, very helpful, but no, it's all in-house from the, from the distributor. And thankfully I've been, I've been involved in with two distributors that have really just, just been wonderful. 
in, in different ways. That's Breaking Glass. And who's the other one? I didn't catch uh, Dark Star Pictures. Dark Star. Yeah. Yeah. And I, and I, I love these people. And, you know, there's been, there's, you know, there's been some tough times as I learned, as I was learning how the industry works and I'd never seen a film contract before. And, you know, we didn't have, I didn't have the money for a lawyer at the time, et cetera, et cetera. And there's things I wish I would have known beforehand, but I mean, they've been all in all, they've been good to me, you know? So I, I've, I've gotten lucky in that, in that, in that respect, you know, and, and now, now I, I kind of know, you know, there's things I prefer in a contract and things I'd like to stay away from in a contract, et cetera, et cetera. So that's been helpful as I've seen 11 of them now, you know? Yeah. But by the way, I work in distribution and we interviewed Savannah Block in a previous episode who was pretty transparent about, I mean, it was breaking glass. Wasn't it all wreck? I'm almost positive it was breaking glass. Maybe I can't remember. I think it was breaking glass. I'll retract this with Jeff Reimut, our editor, if, if I'm wrong. But there, you know, some people have negative experiences with distributors across the board. No one's happy with their distribution company. I get that. I guess I'm curious just to push Alric's question a little bit more. Do you attribute that wildfire that seems to occur on certain one of your titles, like the IMDb ratings or whatever? Is that your distributor or is that the content? Is your distributor, is the PR person? Sounds like I don't know if the PR company is really driving IMDb reviews or is it the fact that you make LGBTQ, you know, Latin centric content and maybe there's not, maybe that's an underserved audience. What, what do you, is it the distributor, your team is the content? Sounds like it may not be you because you don't love social media. Mm-hmm. What's the core? <laughs> yeah. yeah. I think the core, I think the core is, is the, the movies going on these platforms. I think it is, it is the distributor. I don't think it's like, you know, I haven't gotten a lot of big press. I've gotten some, you know, a few articles and some and bigger publications, you know, but I think most of those have not been positive anyway, you know, you know, and like New York times and variety, they've been pretty, pretty cold actually. I had some from the Hollywood reporter, you know, they've been positive, you know, LA times. I saw on your website. Yeah. Yeah. The LA times. Yeah. We got, we got, we, we have a good one from the LA times, but I think they're even the LA times is like, these are really good actors. Is what they said. <laughs> and, I, and I totally, I totally agree. Yeah. They're, they're, they're really good actors, you know, but I, I think partly it's just been the, the movies ended up ending up on these platforms and and having a niche audience i think the lgbt films i've made that end up you know on either on you know like on netflix you know a couple of them and then you know voodoo itunes whatever i mean but i think when they end up on on tv like here tv i have my films end up on there a lot it's great you know american network for lgbt content you know dq out tv i think yeah in here tv yeah i say i think I also think the Falls movies, because they did they they did have a lot of exposure and were on Netflix for a couple of years. I think maybe that got some sort of some folks that were they were interested in the work and wanted to keep following what I did. So I think it's the, the movies ended up on the platforms and just getting some exposure, I think, is what it's really helped get like those ratings up, et cetera, to get some views, get, you know, uh, get some buys and VOD. And, you know. Well, if you couldn't guess, that was my very ungraceful way of saying it's not the distributor. It's not the distributor. It's you. And you're the common denominator <laughs> in the success of your film. And mm. that, yes, you sound like you're happy with these two distribution companies, but that actually you're creating the content that's benefiting them, not yeah. necessarily the other way around. But yeah, no, that's interesting. I hadn't really, I hadn't really, I hadn't really thought of that, you know, like in that way, you know, I definitely feel like, yeah, I definitely feel like taken care of by, by these folks, you know, but yeah, yeah. And I, and I but I want to like, yeah, you know, I want to say that the content, you know, hopefully the content speaks for itself you know and that's and that's that's the driving force hopefully you know but i don't know i don't know how you all you know i I love the work i've done you know and and i really uh well you know i don't know are you all critical of your work
work and aftermath i don't know is the aftermath of no i love everything i've ever done <laughs> yeah yes of course they're critical i mean yeah. i mean i know well i know liz is yeah very met me? Yeah. Like- <laughs> yeah liz is the most critical yeah. person i know yeah so <laughs> i was curious I, I went through i went through this this period of the pandemic where i was you know i was why and i was like man i'm just an awful filmmaker i really just, i'm not very good i don't know man i think you need to look at your imdb reviews yeah. and, uh and like oh. like take some take some i mean dude i would kill for like you know a thousand ratings on one of my movies well, well, <laughs> well I, I was thank you and 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 i'd love to watch both of your work what i was going to say was that when like i started watching all my films i started with the first one and i didn't even make it all the way through to the most recent one but i was like all right i'm gonna approach i'm gonna watch all my films and i'm gonna approach this like completely like you know as objectively as i can you know and i and like by the time i got to my fourth movie i was like i'm I'm not. I'm not a bad filmmaker. You know what I mean. I'm just oh, like, nice. There yeah, you go. Actually, that's good. I'm not bad. I'm not. I'm not bad <laughs> at all. You know. Look at that. You know. Oh, I forgot about that. Oh, damn. You know. And so. <laughs> I mean, to have made a lot. Le- I mean, like, be- I guess you should. Sorry, I know we have to move on, but I do want you to know this. Like. We talk to Arik, what, like 50 filmmakers. We do an interview every week, if not two. You are one of the very few filmmakers we've talked to who has made more than 10 movies, maybe made more than seven movies. So what do you think the barometer is, Arik? I think like, he's the third that we've talked to who's made more than 10 movies. Yeah, we've done 400 and something episodes, right? So yeah. in the fact that you did this, bucking the convention of people saying you have to work with name cast, you have to make horror films, you have to spend millions of dollars on your budget, like you've survived and you now are a full-time filmmaker, like maybe maybe you don't know how incredibly rare that is. Like we yeah. were like, Jeff was pitching to you and we're like, what? This guy? We like, yes, we want to talk to this guy. <laughs> <laughs> like has all the answers so i guess i know we have to move on but but you should know that like you should know that's so exciting and cool shit i might cry uh, <laughs> <yeah>. don't <laughs> or do or do no, cry. or do yeah yeah i think i'm good i'm good it passed i'm good i'm good all right cool. Right. Well, here I want to. I want to sneak. I know we have to get to our last bit of questions, but I want to sneak one more in. You said there was things in contracts that you like and that you don't like. Can you mm-hmm. give us some examples? Because I've only had a couple contracts, and I would love to know what to look out for. I don't love, and I'm not saying that I've worked with other distribution companies. I'm not saying either of the two that I just mentioned a minute ago have done this, but I have seen contracts where I have multiple works with them, and and they'll try to cross collateralize all of my expenses from all those films, meaning that they don't have to pay me. They'll they don't have to pay me money until the expenses have have been depleted from all those films as opposed to just that one film. Right. Individual, and so yeah. it's tricky. Yeah. It's a tricky thing. I, I, I've seen and it. And in one instance, it kept me from getting, I did some math and I was just like, you know, not that I'm good at math. Maybe I was wrong. I don't know. But, but, uh, but it looked like I would have gotten, I would have, I would have done all right. Had I not, had I not agreed to cross collateralize and I did, and I thought I had to. And, and I, I felt a little like taken advantage of, to be honest, you know? And so that's one, that's one instance. Also, that's one instance. Also, when they give you an advance mm-hmm. and they charge it, they have interest, they charge interest on the advance. Mm. I understand why they would do that, but you know, they'll, you know, the, the uh, 
it makes it harder. I mean, you know, I mean, the, the, the idea, you know, is, is, you know, for any business probably is to be able to, you know, not have to pay to, to go as long as you can without having to, to, you know, to outsource or to, to, you know, to, to pay out individuals or for whatever, you know? And so I, I, I understand, I understand that that's another, another thing, of course, like everybody knows about like, you know, keeping expenses capped, right. You want to cap somebody's expenses so they can't just keep charging you and charging you and charging you. And I know, you know, most things for any business, you know, is inflated, right. All their costs are inflated and, you know, if sometimes if you check the theatrical box, I feel like, okay, that, that, that will allow you to use the, the theatrical expenses in addition to the expenses, the, the other expenses, you know? So, you know, so sometimes I just like, let's just not do theatrical at all. And I feel like, and I don't know much about, I don't know much about the inner workings of distribution. You know, I, I just, I'm just kind of speaking about, about, about what I know, but I, right. But, you know, it's just, you know, in one instance, you might do one, one, one screening that you four wall yourself and paid for yourself, but that might check that box to allow them to get into those theatrical expenses, you know, and I, but I, you know what I mean? I, I'm just like, now I just, I, you know, I know what to look for in my first distribution contract. I didn't, you know, I didn't love that there was a percentage off the top and also a percentage of sales, you know, and I did thought I had to do that, you know, and, and if I hadn't have done that, I'd be in a much better spot financially, but I didn't, I didn't know any better. I didn't know, I didn't, I didn't know any better, you know, that, yeah, I felt like there was no reason to take from your, to take from the sales. In addition to the distribution fee on top, there's, there was no reason to take from the sales, I think, you know, I feel. Anyway. Well, next film, come to me and we'll, I'll, I consult and I'd be happy to support you. <laughs> And how do you work with a better, the right partner? Let's jump to our final six questions and we'll do them fairly rapid fire the next nine minutes, but we have some time. What's the first film you ever made? This could be the first short. This could be your first feature, but what's the first film you ever made and how do you feel about it now? First one I ever made was Tandem Hearts. And it's about a couple that moves to Portland from Idaho and they moved there to kind of like try something new and also to save their relationship because they've been having some, some issues. And it was sort of the slice of life of Portland. And now it's like a time capsule of me trying to, you know, process a relationship I was having where I moved to Portland with somebody else. And anyway, I watched the film, like I said, when I went through watching all my films, because I thought I was a horrible filmmaker. And then I, I watched that, I watched that one first and I was like, this one isn't bad either. There's some really, really, you know, some things that I forgot about that I really love about this film, you know? Yeah. Was that the question? That was the answer. Okay. Perfect. Cool. What's the best filmmaking advice you've ever received? Oh, wow. Oh, uh, I don't know. Oh yeah. Here's one. If you end strong, all is forgiven. So I just, I just try to please have a great ending, you know, you know, so that's, that's, that's one thing that's one thing that sticks out. I keep saying that because the, Sasquatch movie I just made, which has a really, really, really strong ending. And, and it, everything's great on the way there, but the ending's pretty fucking rad, you know? And so I, I feel feel like we can, they, if they can sit until, you know, at least an hour <laughs> in the movie. <laughs> they'll be very happy if they get, they, get, if they get to the end, you know? So What's the worst filmmaking advice you've ever received or heard? Oh, you, you can't make a movie without a line producer. Don't even try. That was faster than I was expecting. Uh, do you have a goal as a filmmaker? Yeah, I want to. I want to work. I want to work with some. Because really, I really love directing. I love. I, I, I'm an actor too, and I love. I love playing in that space. I love playing pretend. I love doing weird, weird exercises and breath exercises with actors. I just want to work with some. 
some of some of the actors I've I've grown up watching. You know, I want to work with a whole list of people. You know, all the people that we all want to work with. So yeah, my goal is to work with yeah to work work with some incredible actors that I've I've grown up watching and collaborate with them. Who's the number one? I'm just curious. Who's the number one? Actor? Yeah, let me let me let me think because I don't have a. You know, I'm trying to think about who who specifically. I, I, I get asked this question a lot, and I can never never quite answer it. And I have like very basic answers. You know, like Woody Harrelson. I love I love Woody Harrelson. Uh, I love I love Matthew McConaughey. You know, like being an, an Austin guy. Like yeah, you know, I, I I really love that guy. And you know, you know who I? She's also a Texas gal. She's as wise my tree life. Uh, Zero Dark Thirty. Who am I thinking of? I, oh, I just, Chastain. Chastain. Jessica Chastain. Love her. I love Chastain. her so much. Yeah, um, in the tree life, I just like wow. I'll you know? ask the real question. Yeah. If you could go back in time, what's the one piece of advice you'd give yourself? I would have, I would have like, I, I was convinced that I would never be, be able to make movies. You know, when I was in, in my late teens, and I would just, I would just tell myself start start early. I didn't start till I was thirty. I would just tell myself like start start now, start when you're start when you're 18, 19, you know, so just you know. again, you made 11 features in 13 years. Sorry, <laughs> I just want to just okay, I'm done. Yeah, yeah. Thanks. <laughs> thanks yeah. for that. Yeah. In, in the time it took me to make one movie, you made like four or five movies. So mm-hmm. yeah, it's all good. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, thank you. <laughs> Last question. Oh, sorry, go ahead. Uh, <laughs> is making movies hard? Yeah, it's incredibly hard. Yeah, I, I wish it wasn't true, but it always ends up being true. It's like you're so focused, hyper-focused on something. You're so trying to please everybody and trying to ask for favors and try, and something always gets missed. Someone always gets sort of lost in the in the crossfire and it's never intentional. And, and that's the worst part of it, I think, is when like, you know, you, you when you compromise a relationship just because you had you were just zoned in and and just trying to get something done you know yeah that's the kind of the worst part of it. yeah it's, it's very very difficult you know what's your call to action how can people support you oh yeah well I'm there sometimes because I you know I'm on social media John Garcia PDX on Instagram same for Facebook I have a website uh, John Garcia Films.net and Lake Productions dot or you can if you want to support me you can you can watch my movies you know you can rent them you can go to mindb and find out you know there's, there's the false trilogy the false trilogy the falls the false have the testament of love the falls covenant of grace my first movie tandem hearts my horror movie my first horror movie that hour is still daylight sex weather blues strictly for the birds room to grow and now i have i have so many in the spirit coming up which is about a cult that worships bigfoot and a couple from miami that moved next door to them out in the, in the sticks of uh, oregon so that's my new one. Wow. That'll awesome. Come out in September. It's been picked up by Dark Star Pictures. Uh, looks like we got a premiere coming up at the Miami Film Festival in March. Arik, what do you remember about our talk with John? I remember that he was extremely impressive as a filmmaker and like so focused on making features in a way that like I was like, God, it just sounds so easy the way that he talked about it. It's just like, why didn't I do that? Why didn't I just make a whole ton, ton of features when I was younger? But yeah, it was just really impressive. And I, I loved the way that he thought about approaching a movie and how he just would just make one and then go make another and go make another. And I was also blown away with how many people have seen his movies, like the the numbers on IMDb of like how many likes or ratings he has yeah. is incredible. It's like a 6,000, 8,000, 2,000, like for an indie filmmaker, that's incredible. So I was just really blown away. And like, he was like, oh, I don't think there's that many people have seen my movies. Like, dude, yes, they have. 
you have an audience, man. You've got you've got a fan base. It's great. So yeah, I was just really impressed by him, and um, really excited to see what he makes next, and just you know keep following his amazing journey as this prolific filmmaker who just keeps on making features. What about you? I don't remember a lot. Like I think my only memory is that he was nice and lovely, which is great. You know, like that's good to have positive associations with someone. But I really don't remember it. This was an interview we did a this long a time while ago. ago. Yeah, to be fair, this was like four months ago, probably. Which in my brain is like four years. But also, (laughs) I think I remember him talking about like a somewhat nomadic lifestyle, like living pretty budget consciously, if this is right. Yeah. And that's that always kind of stays in my brain because we hear that a lot from the indie filmmakers who are able to be prolific. They lead pretty... um, miserly lives you know and that's not for everyone but i I really appreciate the commitment to art and an artist's lifestyle that that he inhabited yeah i think that's sort of one of the things that i when i hear that that's like what pings to me and like maybe it's my excuse it's like oh i wasn't willing to do that you know like sleep on couches and you know like just not have a job and not have or like a day job you know or like whatever like a some sort of security it's just like that i've always wanted that that's what i've been wanting my whole life is like to have like some sort of sense of security and like you know a place to be whether it be a a rental or or a house but like yeah i think that was you know definitely part of it and you know just one of the ways that i feel like separates me from somebody who's willing to just sacrifice everything for art you know but i don't even like to to, i don't honestly feel like he was a sacrifice to him it was just like he was that was just the way that he did it and that that was the way he made his movies but he enjoyed it you know so i feel like it's just everybody's different and everyone has a different way they can approach making their films and making things happen you know and yeah i don't know it's very impressive like what he's been able to accomplish and you learned about filmmaking from the jobs that you took on in order to create that safety net. So it's not as if you weren't constantly applying and learning and growing. I think that's the important thing. It's like, maybe you learn on 11 features, but maybe you learn different lessons on being a post-producer or or directing or producing or gaffing or whatever in industrials or whatever your past career is that it's very vague to me and I don't understand it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, well, it's it's a big jumble of everything. Yeah, I mean, you know, I've worked like crude up on four or five features, you know, but doing various roles. So it's like, yeah, I mean, I don't know. It's definitely not focused. And I think to some degree that might have hurt me, but maybe it's also good. Or might have been a really good thing so you could get a better a better view of how to put projects together, how to crew them up, networking, things like that. But now, Auric, I have to put you in the hot seat. Oof. And we're playing the game. The game. What's the game, you ask? <laughs> Random person in my ear. The game is handmade from our producer, Eric Toms. It is a segment where Eric Toms posits an indie film quandary in a hypothetical scenario where Auric listens to a question blind and he decides how he would handle it in this hypothetical scenario. Hypothetical. Yeah, it's one of those things. Mm-hmm. I slept last night, but the word feels weird. <laughs> so this week's 
game question from Eric is, you sign on to do a big budget sci-fi film. It's the sort of film that you've been dreaming of making your whole life. It's a huge commitment and will no doubt take upwards of a few years of your life to complete. You have storyboards, you've spoken with special effects consultants, and you perform camera tests and all preparation for the film, or all in preparation for the film. However, as pre-production has gone on, the A-list star has dropped out and been replaced by an older action star from years ago. The budget has been slashed over and over again, and the studio that was once promising a wide theatrical release is now leaning on dumping the film onto a third-rate streamer. You are starting to wonder if your life commitment is really worth it for a film that once had a high profile. It is now slowly turning into cordwood. I don't know what cordwood is, but I assume it's less than a high-profile thing. Cordwood. 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 Never heard of it. Do you pull out altogether and hand the project to some kid coming out of film school? No doubt. This is not what Eric says, but no doubt wearing a baseball cap. B, go rogue and try and make some crazy out there film in the hopes of creating buzz and revitalize the film. C, make the film as it currently stands in the hopes that your attitude will get you another film opportunity through this production company. D, other. What do you do, director? What do you do? So the budget has been slashed. Does that mean that my pay has also been slashed? Yeah, you assume that? I would assume part of so. It? Yeah, okay. I have a complicated answer. Well, so he writes old action star as in a negative thing, but to me, that's like, could be incredible. I would love to work with Dolph Lundgren or uh, Sylvester Stallone or whatever, you know, any of these other, the old guys be great. I, I, I think there's a really amazing movie to be made uh, with those with those kinds of actors. So I think to me, it all kind of, kind of comes down to, like, do I still believe in the story and and the movie itself? Like with, you know, these cuts and these drawbacks, because like, you know, he's very vague and like, you know, he says a big budget science fiction movie with an A-lister. Now it's been slashed and slashed and slashed. And now it's like, you know, with an old action movie star and it's not the same spectacle it's going to be. And it's going to go on to a third rate streamer and third rate streamer. Hulu? What, what does he? that mean? I'm guessing yeah. Tubi, but whatever. Tubi? Okay. Because Tubi is not really considered a streamer, is it? Or, or Yeah, it's streaming. I mean, everything that's digital, that's streaming to your computer or your computer. Yeah, I don't know. I guess when people talk about Tubi, they always refer to it as AVOD as a different category than than SVOD. Right. Yeah, but so S for a subscription. The S doesn't stand uh, for streaming. Ooh. Well, anyways, <laughs> I don't know. I guess I wouldn't. Would you call? I I wouldn't. If I was talking about streamers, I wouldn't consider Tubi as a streamer. But is oh, I would. You would. Okay. Yeah. Huh. I always think of streamers as like. Netflix, Hulu, you know. You you, you call them SVOD. Yes. We we just did that. <laughs> I call them those streamers. No, I think of them just I think of those as streamers. I wouldn't put like if someone is casually referring to streamers, I would not think that they were ca- talking about Tubi. But you say you think they would be talking about Tubi. Yeah, any platform that streams digital content to your TV or your computer is a streamer. Yeah, I know, but like especially if you're talking to like people who aren't in the industry, when they say streamers, you think they mean Tubi too? I don't know. Probably, yeah. Weird. I don't. I would not <laughs> assume that. I feel like when people say streamers, they mean Netflix. Or, you know, they prefer to the ones, the famous ones that you know of. Okay, you know? well, if it's a third rate SVOD, and I understand that you, there's a separateness between subscription and streamer, but if we're going to do that and you need it for the question, then it would be like 
Well, then if it's not, but then yeah, I guess yeah. like voodoo, it would be voodoo. Oh, because, voodoo. Okay. You know, because yeah. it's like there's a real big, there's like a massive difference after Netflix and Hulu. I mean, and Amazon. You know, right? It's like right. then it's like three tiers down, and then it's who are yeah. the best companies? But then even when you get to Amazon Prime, though, it's like that means nothing because like everybody's on Amazon Prime. So, but if they acquire it as with a like the Amazon and, Studios, then it's different, right? Yeah. 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 Okay. Well, let's just assume the worst, and that they're talking about any streamer, and that's just Tubi for instance or voodoo or whatever just something that's like not that anyone can get on right yeah so that okay and then the other part of it is like like does it like am i going to be going into the hole to make the movie right like that's the the big problem like if if it's cut repeatedly to the point where you i can't take time off work and and sustain my lifestyle and that like i'm gonna have to lose money to make the movie then it's suddenly a completely different thing. Right. You know? So I think if I still believe in the story and I still think it's a great movie and I, with the new a- actor and the budget cuts, and I can still maintain my life without like going into the hole to make it like basically losing money to make the movie, then I would do it. But if it's suddenly going to be a thing where I'm going to be losing money to go make this movie and, you know, it's not going to, there's no guarantee of what whatsoever that's going to do anything for my career. It's going to be another movie that's like out onto digital, just like my movie is, you know? Mm-hmm then yeah i think i have to pass mm. but yeah if but if i can sustain my life and it's not going to put me into a a financial hole where i'm like losing money to make it and i believe in the story then yeah then i would still do it mm. what about you liz yeah it it just reminds me of what i talked about at the top of the call where it's like i want to have some sort of meaningful input over cast so if just like you were saying like if that cast member you were saying if the story is right but i think you're also kind of implying if the actor is right if the cast is right if it feels like a good artistic fit in making this film that feels like you're directing it not just like someone who steps in to someone else's shoes and then just says action and cut Right. Like if you have actual influence over, like I would be leaning towards staying on the project. I mean, I want to be considered for some of these director for higher opportunities. I'm like actively trying to develop a, I brought it up before, like a holiday Christmas movie, which is Mm. really like you have very little influence, Mm. but I want to know what it's like to step in that kind of shoe and be thought of as, well, like a working director is what I would like to be thought of. It's like someone who gets hired to do a job and then does the job. But I really like what you're saying about finances. And I think that goes with any project is that you shouldn't go into the red unless for some reason you are investing money into that project that you're going to get back and they're keeping track of that money in some way right yeah yeah i think when i when i was saying about the story i was like basically assuming that the old action star was a good fit for the character and not just like you know putting you know whatever Dolph lundgren in a a role that was for adam driver you know like 
Yeah. Yeah. But anyways. Well, but the way Eric sets up this question, it just feels like that as a director, you have very little contractual power in this situation, which is just seems like right. the problem to begin with. Yeah. I also just think, but, but I think in general, like if a movie starts as like a big budget and then it goes to a smaller budget, like I would, I'm still going to want to make the movie and unless it becomes yeah. a financial burden to me. Yeah. Somehow, you know, cause I can't, I can't be doing that again. Like I can't be like making a movie that's costing me money like I used to do for all the other movies. <laughs> like it just, you know, I, I've got to figure out how to raise it basically, you know, or, or be hired to do it in a way that like doesn't, you know, I can't work for a dollar, you know, like it's got to be something that yeah. will, it is equal to what I do at, at my day job, basically. Okay, cool. Good question. And sorry for the, the, whole, <laughs> the whole tangent on, on <laughs> semantics of words. I just wanted to be clear to understand, but I think I, I got it. It's basically just like, yeah, I get it. Just less exciting. He's just positioning a less exciting opportunity for you. I'm like a not at all exciting opportunity, basically. Mm, I'd be... <laughs> But depending God, at this point, I'll take anything. At this point, I'm just like, just let me weigh in on the actor for God's sakes. Uh, well, anyways, I'd love to hear what you guys all think. You can always send us a question, comment, or suggestion to podcast at makingmoviesishard.com. Or if you like the show, you can leave us a review on iTunes. And finally, check us out on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter at MMIH Podcast and YouTube at Making Movies is Hard Podcast. Make sure to check out the International Screenwriters Association, the ISA. They're an organization designed to connect writers with filmmakers through a number of programs they offer, including publishing your logline to a network of industry professionals, consultation courses, contests, and their top 25 writers list featuring some of their best writers. So head over to www.networkisa.org to sign up for free today. Thanks so much to John Garcia for coming on the show. Thanks to our editor, Jeff Reimut, for doing the editing. And thanks to our producer, Eric Tom for just being awesome. Thanks you all for listening and we'll talk to y'all next week. Um, all right. Sorry, Jeff. Cut out everything. Cut it all. Before Shopify, were you wondering, where are my sales at? Now you're selling with Shopify, the global commerce platform supercharging your selling. You have no problem selling online, in person, on social media, and beyond. Gary, easy on the cha-ching. <clears throat> oh, sorry, but my Shopify sales are through the roof. Start selling with Shopify today and discover how millions of businesses around the world use Shopify to ignite their selling. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash listen. Shopify.com slash listen. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.